0: So hey guys, welcome back to Accelerated Investor. I'm Josh Cantwell, I'm your host. And today I have a great guest that you absolutely want to listen to. His name is Robert Wiedemer. He's a New York Times bestselling author of the book, Aftershock. And he just released his newest book in January of 2022 called Fake Money, Real Danger. They wrote the landmark book called America's Bubble Economy in 2006 that predicted the 2008 financial crisis, and its aftermath. He holds a Series 65 and a master's degree from the University of Wisconsin, and he manages ARC Financial Management, a DC Washington, D.C. area investment advisory firm, and he's also the portfolio manager of the Bull Bear Performance Fund, which uses innovative proprietary trading designed to outperform the S&P 500. In Bob's most recent book, Fake Money, Real Danger, we're gonna talk about how we've exposed the government's massive money printing and enormous borrowing before, during, and after the COVID crisis and how it's put the financial markets on the fast track to the coming financial cliff. Look, Bob wrote the book on what's coming, so you absolutely wanna hear what he's gotta say and how to prepare yourself and protect yourself and grow your wealth while you still can. Here we go. Well, hey, Bob, listen, thanks for carving out a few minutes and welcome to Accelerated Investor. Well, thank you for inviting me, Josh. Listen, Bob, I've been looking forward to this interview for a long time, especially since you released your newest book, Fake Money, Real Danger. And my audience right away, make sure you check out that website. That's what we're going to be talking about today. www.fakemoneyrealdanger.com. And as you heard in the intro... Bob has a tremendous amount of market experience, 20 to 25 plus years, and has operated and predicted the crash of 2006. And today we're going to talk about his most recent book, which was just released in January of 2022, and talk about this money printing that's really happened and a lot of this possible financial cliff that we are going to be experiencing. So Bob, first of all, Let's talk about Fake Money, Real Danger. What led you to writing your latest book? Tell me about your motivation and high level. Why did you start to kind of find the desire to write your next book?
1: Well, that's that's pretty easy. We'd written, as you know, a series of books on called The Aftershock, with four editions on that, sold about a million copies. The last one was in 2015, and our publisher, John Wiley, kept saying, hey, we want an update, we want an update. And we said, we're not going to do an update until the Fed starts printing money again, a lot of it. Well, as you know, with COVID, the Fed started printing well, more money in a month than it, it printed in years before, even when it was in high print mode. So um, that kicked it off. Is you know, once we're starting to print money again, our our overall predictions are coming true. We're printing a lot of money, we're we're borrowing a lot of money, we're not going back, we're not reducing the amount we borrow, we're reducing our debt, we're not reducing the amount we print. And so that was our kickoff to say, hey, it's time to write the new book because. We'll have a better idea once the Fed's printing so much money of kind of what the timeline will be when this thing starts to blow. And so hence that was the uh, really the the genesis of the new book was the uh, the COVID, you know, massive money printing operation. Yeah. And
0: why was it that you knew, you know, after after writing and delivering aftershock and the success of that book? How did you know in advance that you weren't gonna write the book until the money printing began? What was it about the money printing? that you knew that that was gonna create the next real event? What was it about that that you knew based on your economic experience and your financial planning experience and these types of things, your trading experience, why was
1: that so important? Because it's really the key to keeping the economy, the bubbles going is printing money keeps our interest rates low. And that's absolutely crucial to all of our investment markets, bonds, real estate, stocks. And it's also crucial to keeping the government finance. The reason we can easily borrow a trillion dollars a year or more is because we're keeping interest rates low. In fact, I might add that there's actually, in a sense, nothing wrong with all of that printing money and borrowing as long as we don't get inflation from printing money. And mm-hmm. so what we said, you know, long ago in Aftershock is that ultimately, we'll have to keep printing money to keep the markets going, to keep our economy going, uh, but ultimately it will cause inflation. And, and that's going to be the death of, of this little economic experiment uh, of, of trying to uh, go against everything we know probably can't work, meaning, really, can we can we borrow $30 trillion and never pay it back? Can we increase our money supply 1,000% and never get inflation? Well, no, I, I mean, eventually it will cause inflation, and, and that will put an end to the whole thing. But uh, that's why the printed money is really the key to all of it. I mean, it's not even the borrowing. I mean, we really— you know, as long as you can print money without getting inflation, our government could borrow you know trillions and trillions more, right? Because it's right. printed money, right? They, they're just, essentially they're, you know, they're 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 issuing bonds that the Fed buys, and uh, uh, that could go on forever, but it won't because it will eventually create inflation.
0: Right, and now that inflation is happening, help me understand again from your your perspective and with your experience. Why is it that the borrowing of money without inflation, you know, I understand why that could work and that could continue. But now that inflation's at a 40-year high, what kind of issues and problems is that going to trigger? And what what's the result from that? What, what's the next step? Now that the inflation we know is there, it's been happening, it's been happening every month, this 9%, 8.5%, 40-year high. We see that that might be trickling down a little bit. It's still at you know, a 40-year high, but the trend is going down because the cost of energy is going down, the cost of gas. But now that inflation is firmly here to stay for a
1: while, what what is that trigger that concerns you? Okay, so the key to inflation from an investment standpoint isn't, isn't so much that it's costing more to buy gas or, or bacon or whatever. The key is that it pushes interest rates up. Because again, what did I say earlier? The key to keeping you know our bond, stock, real estate markets, and economy going is low interest rates. And, and that's really, if you, you did a, and we did an analysis in fake money of what really caused the stock market to boom so much since the financial crisis and, and even before has been those low interest rates. So the only problem you can get from inflation that really causes all this problems is rising interest rates. And Unfortunately, or fortunately, I should say, we're not going to get that for a while. You're going to have to have really high inflation, like 10 to 15 percent, before it's going to affect interest rates. Now, you'd say, oh, wait, we're raising interest rates right now. So it's it's having an effect. No, no. As long as the Fed has control of interest rates and it's raising or lowering rates, we're still okay. As long as the Fed controls it. It's when the Fed loses control and can't keep interest rates down because. Um, Nobody wants to buy a a 3% bond when inflation's at 15%. That's when you have a problem. So it's a ways off, but it has been kicked off, the final problem. As you said, we're now getting inflation, which is something, frankly, five years ago, I could have very senior intelligent economists saying, hey, Bob, we don't have inflation. It's been solved all around the world to to a large degree. And it kind of was true. Now we're seeing it's not true, but we can still keep rates low. So the next hurdle is, is really... How long can the Fed keep control of rates? Right now, I know it's raising them, but you know ultimately you got to keep them low. You can't raise them too high, as the Fed will find out. What ha- you know? How long can the Fed keep rates low before inflation sort of pushes it up to the point that the only person willing to buy bonds is is the Fed? You know, because nobody will buy a two or three percent or four percent bond because inflation's at ten or fifteen. I think that's a ways off, but that's the real problem with inflation is not so much your pocketbook issue, but your interest rate issue, right?
0: So if you guys are, oh, my audience is is connecting the dots here, right? That important point that Bob just made is that when interest rates get out of control to the point where inflation's so high that they can no longer issue bonds, government bonds at 3 4%, nobody's buying them, that creates the next problem, which is now the federal government can't print any money or they have to print it at such a high interest rate to attract investors that becomes a major problem, okay? So Bob, let's take it one step further. Let's just say we end up with 12 and 15% inflation rate consistently. The Fed right now, and even the interest rates right now, everybody says, oh my God, the interest rates are going up. But in the history of our country, right? The Fed funds rate was typically somewhere, if I'm wrong, I've heard this many times, so correct me if I'm wrong, but somewhere around 5.5 to Mm 5.75%. Right now, we're still way below that as far as historical average. So when you're talking about moving the rates up, now up into the fours, into the fives, into the sixes, and now it, that's happening, now we're going to see historically higher interest rates because right now, guys, listen, historically they're still very, very low. But let's just say the Fed loses control of interest rates and now they start to spiral really high. Now, help me understand, Bob, What what problem does that create when you can't finance the government can't finance the debt.
1: Okay. So what you do, what the Fed will do is as fewer people want to buy low interest bonds, they'll print more money to buy bonds. And this is where it will start to hit the markets is they're kind of going, well, interest rates are low still, you know, 3%, 4%, let's say worst case. Uh, But the Fed's buying all the bonds they're printing money. Well, when you've got inflation at 10% and the Fed's printing a ton of money, which again, they're not doing right now, but I'm saying this will happen in the future and they'll have to print more money. Um, Ultimately, the markets start to panic because they realize that the Fed has lost control. In other words, all it can do is print money, which is frankly all it's ever been able to do is print money. That's its only real power. But in this case, they're printing money. It's causing inflation and they're having to print more and more of it because they're going to have to buy a lot of those bonds that are, are constantly being, you know, rotated, turned over in the system. I mean, it's not just new bonds, but anybody who holds a bond can sell at any time and they could start selling, in which case the Fed's going to have to buy with printed money. So what you get is ultimately you get this sort of meltdown where the markets start to see that, you know, we're headed for a bond market that's entirely run by the Fed. This is sort of unsustainable and, and eventually people do panic. But uh, yeah, those low interest rates are here and they are low. And you're right, historically low, we've never seen anything like this before. And I might add, one of the rate to look at, because we're talking about interest rates, it's very important to look at that 10-year rate. That's the one that affects the stock market, the bond market, and so forth. The overnight rate, which the Fed has been increasing, isn't really very important, honestly, because who borrows overnight? Well, some banks, but it's not investment time period, right? So that 10-year bond rate actually has not Gone up that much. In fact, in June, we raised rates three quarters of a percent. The 10 year bond rate fell almost three quarters of a percent. It went down. I remember that day. Yeah. We, and we this, obviously,
0: the commercial sector, Bob, we look at the 10 year treasury yield all the time. Yeah. This is a critical number. So, a lot of people, again, my audience, if you've listened to any of the trainings before, the podcast that we've done, as the Fed increases interest rates, that's going to affect your regular cars, your credit cards, it's going to affect your house payment. But it also affects bridge loans, which are based off the sofa rate for commercial real estate. Okay, So the cost of bridge money goes up. What does that do? Well, it makes money more expensive, especially in the short term for two to four to five-year bridge loans, which now, if the cost of that money is more expensive, it pulls back on what people are willing to pay for those commercial assets like multifamily apartments. But that's the sofa rate. That's the Fed funds rate. That's the overnight rate that Bob's talking about from a From a long-term rate, when we look at long-term financing, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, we look at bank financing for long-term commercial deals. Bob just explained again the ten-year Treasury yield. If you look at it, let's say October of last year, it was one point six percent. It was extremely low, historically low. Now it went up. It went went up 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 up. It went up to actually three point four percent is the latest high that I've seen. That was about sixty to seventy days ago. And then when the Fed raised rates by that 75 bips the last time they met, the 10-year treasury dropped back down to about 2.85 to 2.75. And it's kind of been floating around there lately. So the cost of money still for commercial real estate is usually going to be about 200 bips higher, maybe 225 bips higher than the 10-year treasury yield. Because banks want to get a spread, a yield, a, a, a difference between the 10-year treasury yield and then what they put the money on the market for. So if they give me the money for a commercial deal at 5% and the 10-year treasury is at 2.85, they've made the spread. They've made the yield that they want. Okay? So that's why, as Bob is saying, if this stays historically low and the government can continue to print money and there is inflation, but it's under control, the market should stay relatively calm. If inflation continues to happen, then the only way to keep the interest rates down is to print more money. Now you have inflation with more money, which is going to cause more inflation, and you could have a runaway. You guys see see where we're going? See what Bob's explaining here? That's the, I just want to connect the dots, Bob, for our audience before we move any further.
1: No, thank you, because it's a little bit counterintuitive what you hear in the news every day and so forth. It's a little funny, but you've got it. And in fact, I might say maybe our next book should come out when the Fed starts printing money again, right, to, to, to keep rates low. Um, but let's, let's just emphasize, yeah, the, 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 that it was very, it is a very funny bond market that when the, you know, when the fed announces a rate increase that the 10 year rate goes down and I might add when they, uh, you know, announced another one in July, the 10 year rate went down briefly, even lower to 2.5%. And as you said, it's gone back up. Let me just explain real quick. What controls the 10 year rate is not so much where the fed sets the overnight rate, what controls the 10 year rate is buying and selling of bonds, okay? And that's how the Fed really controls rates, is if they want uh, interest rates to go down, um, they buy a lot of bonds, right? And that a lot of demand, that keeps rates low. And if they want rates to go up, they sell them. Well, they had and promised that's, that's what back part, The Fed clearing their balance sheet? Clearing the balance sheet is what it's called. The money that they
0: bought, that's exactly what Bob's explaining. If you guys have heard that, that they'll hear in the popular news, right?
1: That's a popular the popular news. Versus Quantity, quantitative right, tightening. Tightening, which is... Uh, the opposite of easing. And it, it means, yeah, reducing the balance sheet, basically selling off bonds that they choose printed money to buy. Remember, the Fed has no tax rights, has nothing. All it can do is, well, all it can do is print money out of thin air, which it can do a lot of. And, and so that's what it sort of re, promised it would reverse, but it didn't. It was supposed to start selling 45 billion, which is not insignificant, a month of their bonds in June. They didn't. They only hardly went through five or 10. Same in July. They're picking up the pace a little in August, but uh, it's still not 45. And in September, they're supposed to go to 90. Now that will increase your long-term rates. So a couple of things to look at will be that balance sheet. Are they finally starting to reduce it going forward or are they not? That's going to tell you where that 10-year rate's going to go, that all-important 10-year rate, much more than whether the Fed raises the overnight rate, which will not be as important in fact really doesn't affect the tenure rate much at all. So, going forward, let's look at that tenure rate. That's going to be critical and I say that ultimately the Fed will not let that go too high. Now, without at the risk of a run on, you might ask, well, why is the Fed raising rates, Bob? You keep telling me that low rates are so important. Okay, because what the Fed thinks is that they're going to be able to raise rates briefly to kill inflation and then and then they can lower them again. Sort of right. like what happened with Volcker, right? In the ni- early 1980s. The Volcker treatment was to get rid of inflation. You raise rates for a while, inflation's gone, you lower them. It's, what's the big difference, though? Why can't you do a Volcker thing now? Why is the Fed in fantasy land thinking it's Volcker time again? Because what was the Dow in 1980? Probably um, hard to remember. It's hard to remember. I think I was eight or 10 years old. <laughs> exactly. And so it was at 1,000, right? 1,000. Okay. And it wasn't really in much of a bubble either, because what was the Dow in 1970? About a (laughs) 1,000. So for a whole decade, it hadn't gone up. Um, So you didn't have a big bubble to pop or a big stock market bubble. And we all know real estate prices were certainly a lot lower back in 1980. So what's happened now is these low interest rates have encouraged asset prices like real estate and stocks to go way up. So you can't bring interest rates down anymore like you could under Volcker because the prices of assets are so high. You bring those rates up and you will kill the values of real estate and stocks. So that's why the Fed is sort of in fantasy land is they don't realize that raising rates will, uh, you know, pop those markets pretty badly. They wouldn't in 1980. They didn't. But now they will because they're so high priced. And this is also why I suspect the Fed is sort of is not doing much on selling bonds and doing more of the talk on the overnight rate, they look like they're fighting inflation, uh, but in fact, they, they really aren't. Because they sort of know what I know is, man, you raise those 10-year rates and you will kill stock and uh, real estate markets so fast that you don't. Are you ready to automate and
0: explode your real estate investing? We're searching for extremely motivated individuals who are sick and tired of wasting time and want to finally see real results from their real estate investing business. We're searching for investors looking to get to the next level and become a bigger, better version of themselves while being a more successful real estate investing entrepreneur. Apply for mentoring and coaching at joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. That's joshcantwellcoaching.com forward slash podcast. When you and I were emailing and texting before this interview, and we talked a little bit about the difference between the 2006, 2008, 2010 crash, back then it was overinflated house values. Again, a lot of arm borrowing, a lot of no income, no asset borrowing. It made the banks sick. And the banks were the cause of an illiquid market. What I'm hearing now is in a similar way, is if you raise rates too much, right? then you cause the crash. So it's not now about liquidity. It's about the fact that these assets are so much higher valued. And if you raise rates and ultimately sell off these bonds, selling off the bonds is going to increase the 10-year treasury yield, which will increase the cost of money, increasing the Fed funds rate is going to increase the SOFR rate, which is going to increase the cost of bridge money. Either one of those happening or both of them happening increases the cost of borrowing, which then will stop or reduce the value of the asset. So now we're just pulling a different lever. The, the lever in 2006, 2008 was the banks were sick. That was the lever. That caused no liquidity. That's what caused prices to come down. Now you're talking about interest rates going up to fight inflation. That would cause illiquidity because the cost of money would be more. So now the Federal Reserve is just being much more slow, methodical, and strategic. They'd rather see runaway inflation or at least inflation at 8 9%, 10%. They'd rather see that than the market get completely hammered and everything come back and the economy tanking because they've learned from the 2006 through 2010 crash. Did did I
1: piece that together right? You did. You did. You got it. And and it's it's important what you say is that you know two thousand six seven eight nine was a little more of a subprime banking issue, um, whereas what you've got now is is a bubble that's you know in a sense if you could keep rates this low forever or put them back to 1.5%, you know, it's maybe properly priced. I'm not saying it's perfectly priced, but better priced. And so it's really, it's low interest rates that are keeping this bubble alive. And if you raise those rates, you pop it. So you've got it. And and that's 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 the big issue we're facing. And that's the difference between 2008, 2009 and now, which is also a reason, frankly, this this bubble could keep going on for a while because the Fed does have control of rates. It can keep them down mm-hmm. if it wants to. Um, so you know, it's so it's a whole different thing, but it's a lot bigger because back then you're just involving the banks. Now you're involving the whole U.S. government's financial system. So, and, and frankly, all the world governments—I mean, all the, the, the economies on the world have been printing money
0: like crazy because of COVID. The, the Europe, European Union, China, Russia, every Man. every large, major industrialized country printed, printed, printed during COVID. Now everybody's experiencing worldwide inflation. And all the central banks have essentially adopted the same policy.
1: Yep. And that's exactly right. So we're we're, we're, we're all in this together because we we're all making mistakes, not just the U.S. And and But I will say the U.S. is the leader. If it has trouble, you know, we have a, a cold, the world will catch pneumonia. And uh, so we've gone from a relatively contained bubble with the banking crisis to a, a much bigger and what will also be an uncontained bubble when you start involving the U.S. government's, um, you know, fundamental finances and and the world uh, governments' finances. So it's a it's a much bigger deal. But that's also why this could potentially last longer. And that's what's going to make it very interesting. That the bad side is that means it will get bigger, and when it pops, it's far worse. But uh, but you vet it. That's the big difference. It was more banking thing. I might add that one other change since 2007, 2008. You know, not only are we printing a lot of money to keep rates low but we pretty much made it clear we'll bail out anything and everything. Any major bank fails, we'll bail them out. Insurance company, we'll bail them out. And we're going to be much quicker than 2008. We're not going to hesitate to bail out Lehman Brothers. I mean, that would just be, we wouldn't even think about it. I mean, how do we bail out McDonald's um, bonds? You know, so that's another, another part that allows this bubble to get bigger is triggers like the subprime crisis are not going to really happen much anymore because we are in bailout mode across the financial spectrum but we can only bail out for so
0: long right i mean it, there has to be a reckoning at some point or is it just because not only the united states but like as i mentioned all the other industrialized countries are also doing the same thing mm-hmm. this is ultimately going to come down to there's going to have to be a monetary reset at some point and the question is going to become will all the world powers work together and manage it Uh, in a cooperative way and do it in a way where debts can be restructured, debts can be reduced or forgiven. Some of these different types of strategies where these major world powers are doing it together or do they ultimately not do it together and this ultimately becomes somebody's going to want to be the winner, which really ends up meaning some sort of war. So to me, that's what it's going to come down to. It's either yeah, going to I, become a cooperative I, 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 way I, I, for the, all the work together yeah. because all the all, all the countries are going to be sick financially at the same time. Mm-hmm. Or do we fight it out like
1: that? That's how I see it. What do you think? Well, there's nothing to fight over uh, in reality. I mean, and what's going to happen is different countries are going to have different rates of inflation. There's no real reset you could do. I mean, what would a reset mean? And. In- and you don't need it. Inflation will take care of it. <laughs> in other words, inflation in each country, you know, whether it be Japan or China or, or the U.S. or Europe, will be at different rates. And those inflation rates will, will do all the work you need pretty quick. That debt's not going to be there in the U.S. really anymore. But that means that all those life insurance companies that have invested in our bonds, that means you know, the Social Security Fund, it means you, me, who probably all still has some bonds, they're all worthless. And that's the reset. Mm-hmm. So it's not a reset. It's just a, a loss of wealth. In a sense, maybe the wealth was never there. But it's it's the reckoning that you're talking about is you keep bailing people out. What are we bailing companies out with? What are we bailing the economy out with? Printed money. And you, you might say, sure, it's borrowed. But the only reason you can borrow and keep interest rates low is because you're printing a lot of money. And so that's the real problem at the heart of it is, is every country has started to print too much money. Right now, not much inflation. And it's not very continual. It's just really started. But over time, the real reset is all accomplished through inflation. There's nothing to fight over. These assets are all collapsing in value. Demand for commodities, you know, in fact, in a weird way, commodities price will actually be falling during this time. I mean, oil prices, all these because the economies are slowing down. Just as you know, you'll find Japan has these massive life insurance uh, policies out. Well, they'll, they'll all get crushed by in- inflation. But what's their what's it to take from them? You know, same yeah. for the U.S. Nobody's going to want to grab our, our bonds. They're, they're all falling falling to pieces once you have high inflation. Inflation's the reset, yeah. and it takes care of everybody.
0: Got it. I love it. I have some friends of mine who've been uh, very successful conspiracy theorists. I would say who ultimately projecting you know World War three is the reset instead of inflation so it's actually a relief to hear you say Bob yeah. that inflation will take care of it because we'll just have a new cost of everything either inflation or deflation uh, wealth will be wiped out people will have to start over and hopefully we can start over without any kind of fighting that would be fantastic Bob let's move on then now that we know what the symptoms are the problem is and kind of what we should expect going forward a little bit. You wrote in Fake Money, Real Danger about how to protect your wealth and even grow your wealth while you still can. So what can we do? What did you put in the book? What are some high-level takeaways that we can give our audience today to kind of ease some of their anxiety and help them understand how they can protect their wealth and how they
1: can grow it even with a lot of these uncertainties? Okay. Well, one thing is lean heavy and hard on, on typical growth stuff right now. I mean, Just watch those interest rates. As long as those interest rates stay reasonably low, the market's going to do well. Real estate's going to do well as well. Now, I admit residential real estate has probably gotten very high and obviously fairly high behind, behind incomes. And office real estate has COVID problems. But real estate, location, location, skill, investment knowledge, you can still make money in real estate as long as these interest rates are low. And there you have a huge incentive. The Fed has a huge incentive to keep them low. And you can tell if they're running out of dry powder by basically the rate of inflation. If inflation is still only, I know it sounds hard to mean, but from a financial standpoint, if it's only eight, 9%, you're not going to have any immediate problems with the Fed keeping interest rates at three or four. So run it hard. So even on the stock market, I'll, I'll give you my quote pick of the day. I'd run it hard with uh, SPXL as a stock market pick. It's a three X levered. Um, ETF on the S&P. Now, you might say it's risky. I'd say, no, if you actually look at the long-term returns for the last 10, 20 years, you'll be just absolutely floored. It does far better than 3x. It does have a lot more volatility, but it's still a standard poor. It's about as safe a investment, stock investment as you can get. 500 companies, all blue chip, that's what you're investing in. You're leveraged, but there's no margin calls. So, you know, you you could be 100% in this and never worry about a margin call. And that's what I mean about riding hard this market while it's still going, because you have a lot of confidence that the Fed has to keep things under control and the Fed can for a while. And I mean years. It could be five years. It could be 10 years even. Uh, That I can't say, but there are going to be plenty of signs you can look out for when you need to move, and the obvious ones are, you know, your 10-year rate and then the rate of inflation. So, um, you know, real estate's a little trickier because it's not as liquid as stocks, but there's still ways to, you know, get in some hot, you know, hot playing real estate. Again, that takes real estate skills, which are not my my end of the business. I'm giving you my stock advice, but I'm saying real estate will benefit in the same way. The one area I'd be careful of is bonds. You know, I know they'll say bonds always be part of your portfolio. They kind of will, but the bond bull is over. We're not going to go to negative interest rates probably, and that's about what you'd have to do to make bonds a really great buy. So I'd be careful of bonds. Um, real estate, you just got to pick it. And you, you know, frankly, Josh, you'd be the man to talk to on what's best yeah. right now and so forth. And honestly, Bob, my solution there, of course, like you know,
0: I I was a, a fee based financial planner, Series Six, sixty three, sixty five licensed. That was, but that was fifteen years ago. I let those licenses lapse when I was full time. Got into real estate as an operator. And the difference between the resi stuff that you mentioned is that resi is a lot of speculation. It's about the guy next door that got an appraisal at such and such a price. And people look at that as a way to place the park money. And there's so much money out there because of all the money printing during the COVID era. Everybody had money. They could go pay cash for properties, not really even looking necessarily at any underlying debt. Right or any any underlying obligation like a PITI type of payment, mm-hmm. they could just buy the asset. They could overpay for it. Let's say in Naples, Florida, and right. they'd still get cash flow from the rent, and they'd still get cash flow if they were doing Airbnb. They could do that as an operator. And a lot of people were buying heavily overinflated residential assets in the boom bust markets, which are mostly along the coastlines, and they're booming, and they're booming, and they're booming. Great people are liquid. They bought all cash. If you're going to make a long term play, again, this is self serving, but this is my area of expertise, which is multifamily apartments, right? Because the residential market's gone up, up, up so much, we have a major affordability problem in our country with affordable housing. And so for us to buy B class and even C plus class suburban apartments, these people have nowhere to go. They have good incomes, they have good jobs, they're blue collar, they're white collar, they're B class type of residents. They just have no house to buy. There's no inventory. There's no supply. So they have to rent for longer and paying more rent than they otherwise would have. So if you're going to invest in the market and just you want to be a guy that cuts the check, writes the check, you know, Bob has a lot of these type of opportunities and his different stock picks. Again, you can get his book at danger.com and you can get onto his email list and you can follow him for that type of advice the other option is if you're actually gonna buy real estate, not in an ETF or not in a, in a REIT, but actually buy the physical real estate. This is just another reason for me why B class suburban multifamily apartments is gonna be a winning asset for a long time because anybody can afford a thousand dollar a month payment. You know, your your housekeeper, the nurse, the teacher, the mechanic, they can all afford a thousand to twelve hundred dollars a month. House payment when it's an apartment. So that's what we focus on because we appeal to the masses. Really, really good stuff there, Bob. So growing your wealth. So you mentioned SPXL, 3X levered ETF. Any other ideas, places that we can grow and protect our wealth?
1: Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't do a lot of stock picking. I would stick to the indexes. I know that's old John Bogle and Vanguard fund advice, but I think it's true. If you want to beat the market use and there are other you know you can do a double levered you know s&p you could same thing double levered on the nasdaq so there's plenty of ways to get involved in major indexes in a leveraged way that will outperform I, and again i want to emphasize i think we still have time for you know long-term investments i think you you know at least to me five years plus is long term and just watch those interest rates that's going to be the key and if you know it's self-serving if you want you know, kind of quicker closer to the uh, uh month advice yeah take a look at my newsletters my books That'll keep you right up to date as when we think things are, are going to blow. But I think we're still you know, good for some long-term bets. But yeah, I keep up with what I have to say and and what Josh says on on real estate. Again, there are short-term and there's certainly still long-term stuff left. Just know that eventually, as Josh says, the reckoning will hit. Let's keep an eye out. But uh, um, that's all I think you need to do right now. I don't think it's yeah. like uh, big red flags out there.
0: Fantastic stuff, Bob. Listen, I think some of the takeaways here are the specific things to watch, right? Inflation, interest rates, do they start to sell off, right? It, this, this will be a big key, which we talked about. If the Fed starts to finally sell off through the quantitative tightening and they reduce their balance sheet, that's going to make those uh, cost of bonds go up, right? Yep. Yep. And you're going to see at that point, you're going to see those the interest rates go up. So they've been holding off on that for now. I think the market overreacted That's why the 10-year treasury went to 3.4%, 3.5%. Then they found out the Fed wasn't going to sell. They weren't going to do as much quantitative tightening. And then the rate went back down. So there's some real tips here, guys, on some real data to follow in order to make great investment decisions. Okay, And as always, as we have mentioned a couple of times, grab Bob's book. He wrote it just earlier this year, January of 2022, with all these things in mind, COVID, the money printing, the Federal Reserve, what we learned from 2006, what we learned from the Volcker era in the 70s and 80s. Get the book right now at www.fakemoneyrealdanger.com. Bob, listen, thanks so much for carving out some time for us on Accelerated Investor. All right, thank you, Josh. Well, there you have it, guys. Listen, I love having guys on who have a position that dig their heels in and really tell it like it is on what's gonna happen with the marketplace Again, I think some real takeaways from this is what happens to inflation, what happens to interest rates, and also what happens to the Fed's balance sheet. If they start ultimately with the quantitative tightening that they talked about, that will push interest rates up. Also, what will happen with the ability for them to continue to raise rates in the future, or are they going to let inflation kind of run away for a while? All right. We give a couple quick tips on some investment strategies. Again, I love the fact that he said, stick to the indexes. I'm a big fan of index investing. That's what I do with my own money that's in the stock market. I avoid individual stocks or stock picking, and I absolutely invest in the indexes. Then he also, I love the fact that he said, look, we still got a five to 10 year time horizon, even with this short term inflation, we still got plenty of time to make good investment strategies. All right? So guys, listen, if you want to hear more guests like this, make sure you smash the subscribe button. Leave us a five-star rating and a review right now. And don't forget about our mastermind. If jumping into our mastermind and working with other seven and eight and nine-figure investors appeals to you and working directly with me, go visit joshcantwellcoaching.com. Opt in there. We'll set up an interview and we'll talk to you to see if you're a fit for the group. We'll see you next time. Take care. You were just listening to the Accelerated Investor Podcast with Josh Cantwell. If you enjoyed this episode and learned something new, help us build the AI community by leaving a review and five-star rating on our iTunes podcast channel. Also, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss another episode. To see passive investing opportunities, visit freelandventures.com slash passive. To start your journey toward the lifestyle you've always dreamed of with multifamily apartments, apply for one-on-one coaching with Josh at www.joshcantwellcoaching.com.